Hello everyone, welcome to Cracking Addiction. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and once again, we have with us the good Dr. Laura Petracek. Laura, I thought we'd uh, begin a couple of discussions around radical acceptance. So I've got two questions to set the discussion off. First of all, how would you define it? What is it? And then the second question is, why is it useful? What are your thoughts? What is it and why is it useful? So radical acceptance is uh, allowing something to be. Um, it is what it is, is a common phrase we hear. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily being okay with what happened, um, but that we can't change it. We could change our attitude towards it, but not the issue itself. Mm-hmm. It's acknowledging that um, you have the resources, emotional resources, let's say, to move forward and heal. Um, learning to accept reality is is challenging, but it's the path forward to end suffering. Mm, there's a lot in there. Before we unpack that, why is it useful? Why are we even talking about it? It's useful because uh, going back to the phrase, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, it helps lessen suffering. Mm. And radical acceptance, these skills really help us lessen our suffering. So meaning by not accepting something, by ruminating over and over, we're adding suffering to the pain. So let's say you know, your mom died. Um, If you just kept going, why? Or I should have been closer or, you know, I should have, should have, would have, could have. You're adding suffering to the pain that's inevitable. I mean, you know, the palliation of pain, the palliation of emotional pain is, is is a laudable goal in itself, you know, irrespective of context. But in the context of our discussions, we are talking about dialectical behavioral therapy in the context of addiction and substance use disorders, aren't we? So that's a particularly useful skill to have, isn't it? Because it's the, the amelioration of pain can actually reduce substance use. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, mm. The more we accept certain situations... Uh, the less, the less likely. What was that? The less triggered we it, become. Yes, less triggering, and then therefore, the trigger is to pick up a drink or a drug. So then, less likely to pick up mm. a drink or a drug. Um, so but that's, it's that's, also that's how I view it. Yes, I also look at this in terms of the first step, which for a lot of people is tough. Meaning, there. Are, powerless over alcohol and drugs. For some people, they get it quickly. For some people, that takes years. And it causes suffering Mm. because they don't accept they have an alcohol and substance use problem. And they keep trying different formulas, different combinations, different everything, you know. And um, so that the lack of radical acceptance also adds to addict or alcoholic suffering. So let's go back to the things that you said when we were explaining what it, what it was, radical acceptance. When I talk about radical acceptance to people, 
a lot of people say, well, you know, does that mean I should accept being abused or by my spouse or being bullied at work? Hmm. You know, no. Yes. Yeah. How it do you make that mean... distinction? Well, a phrase I use with clients is, you don't have to accept unacceptable behavior. So being bullied is unacceptable behavior. Um, being abused in an abusive domestic violent relationship is unacceptable behavior. And sometimes clients aren't sure, is this acceptable behavior or not? Like, is this okay that he or she said this to me or did this to me? And so I think part of our role as therapists is to help clients, you know, kind of differentiate. This is okay, but that wasn't okay that he or she did that. Um, no. So that, and that is sometimes a tricky part. Like, does this mean I have to accept unacceptable behavior? Absolutely not. Doesn't mean you have to accept. It also means you have to recognize that distinction, doesn't it? But it still actually though means you have to accept in a sense, the other person is not going to change. Like they are who they are. So if you accept that, do you still want to be in this marriage or at this job if that person is who they are, which sounds abusive or is abusive? No, you could only change yourself. So after radically accepting this is what it is, then what's your next step or steps? Well, I was going to, you know, draw this out a little bit. I mean, you know, for some people who are in abusive relationships, you know, they feel at times or they're... they're most uh, they feel frequently that there is no way out so that's you know that's an unacceptable behavior on the part of a spouse or a partner but for the for the individual concerned there is no way out there's no way of stopping this abusive behavior to what extent is radical acceptance there accepting of that unacceptable behavior well i wouldn't say there's no way out that i don't agree with i think there's always a way Meaning, you know, I mean, I'm not exactly sure the services in Australia, but I'm sure you have um, shelters for women who are battered or in abusive relationships. Mm. And that could be a first step. Um, I mean, we are, in a s essence, asking them to change their life. So there's a lot of uh, steps involved, time, money. But... For a lot of women, I suggest the first step, if they don't have someplace to go, is go to a shelter. And then that will start the ball rolling. You know, um, right. And if you do have a place to stay, I still recommend they go to the shelter for counseling services or to be in a DV, domestic violence group. Um, because I think uh, by telling women, well, it's primarily women, that there's, they're stuck or there's no way out is adding to a sense of hopelessness, which is uh, like the worst thing we could do to people struggling with an abusive boss or marriage and thinking there is no way out. Uh, the other thing I wanted to draw out was this idea of you can control your own reactions and there is a space between every action and a reaction, and that space is the choice to either, you know, accept or suffer. And so, you know, this brings this makes me immediately think of Viktor Frankl and his comments around that. What, what would you say to that? I love Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm 
And I agree with his premise that, okay, this was a situation. They're in a Nazi concentration camp. But what is people's reactions or in terms of Viktor Frankl, his response? Um, And a lot of people, I mean, considering the situation, I can understand they feel hopeless, like it's over. But he really worked on his mindset and being very aware of his cognitive uh, thoughts and patterns and how that influenced how he felt. Um, and he had purpose. I mean, he, he also, that was kind of an overarching reason. But um, yeah, I agree with his premise that a lot of our suffering is caused by our own thoughts, but also our reaction to what is presented. So here is like probably the worst case scenario. Someone could be presented what they're living in, but their attitude, you know, there's another woman, uh, Holocaust, unfortunately she died in the Holocaust, but they found her journals. Her name's Eddie Hylesom. And I keep reading this one page once in a while because I just can't like get over it, how she, didn't react, but responded. And she said, even though I walked by the Bob wire fence, I still feel this joy in my heart and a spring in my step. I said, how the heck do you have that uh, belief in life or that uh, direction in life in considering where you are? I find that utterly remarkable that she's not letting her circumstances dictate how she's going to live or how she feels. Yeah. Or even how she feels. That's right. Yeah. So uh, would it be fair to say then that radical acceptance really lives in the space between event and reaction? Yes. Or it lives between event and response. Because if it's more of a response someone's giving, the more Mm -hmm. likely they're going to accept it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because response is that space between, so you're not reacting. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's that space between. X happened, what am I going to do? You know? Like, okay, this is a very small minor thing, but my daughter went on vacation. She leaves me with this car that's a fob and the battery's broken. I go to the dealership. Well, the dealership totally closed down. There's no dealership. So, but instead of like, ah, it's like, okay, think, think, what are some problem solving things you could do? And I was so proud of myself that I didn't like go into a tailspin about it. I said, okay, I accept this is broken. I accept the dealership's no longer there. What is my next step? Yeah. So, you know, thinking problem solving instead of and accepting instead of, oh, the dealership club. Oh, my God, that's just so terrible. Why could they do that? How could they do that? That causes suffering. So if we accept then that pain is inevitable, suffering is a choice. And if we accept that radical acceptance is, if we accept that radical acceptance 
is the space between an event and a response. We also then have to accept that suffering also lives there. Yes, we do. So our choice to suffer, so really our suffering or suffering in general is our choice because it's how we choose to respond to an event. And we cannot influence the event itself. We can only influence our choice to respond to that event. And so there is that time period. There's, there's that period of time when our brains are trying to compute and analyze and process this, this, this event. And it can be very quick, but nonetheless, there is a space. There's a space where, within which we can choose to, to suffer or we can choose to accept and thereby minimize the suffering. I agree. I feel we have no control over the event, but we do have control over our response to it. Mm. And we have control over how we respond. Um, if we're into reacting yeah. mode, there's less chance we are responding in a um, mindful way. Uh, and if we're reacting, mm. we're usually calling it causing ourselves more suffering. So I think it's important to emphasize that radical acceptance doesn't stop pain. No. It doesn't stop events. It simply stops our, our suffering and goes back to that line that pain is inevitable, suffering yeah. is optional. Well, Psychologists cannot fix the world. Really? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no, they can't fix the world. They can fix, they can help people deal with the yes. world. Have I just insulted the entire profession of psychology? <laughs> no, I agree. We can't, a psychologist can't fix it any more than a medical doctor like yourself. However, um, we can help patients not add more fuel to the fire, not add to their yeah. suffering. I mean, if someone dies, that's pain. And of course they are going to suffer, you know, somewhat, but we, we, we could help them to not add to the suffering by, you know, blaming themselves or I should have been there. Or I should have taken him to the doctor or whatever. All those should have, would have, could have adds to suffering. Hmm. Um, so there hmm. is, yes, pain, but there's also, I think there is some suffering, but we don't have, but someone doesn't have to add to it. And that's where we could help our clients. So... What specific techniques are there to actually, you know, reduce, reduce the suffering in that space to, to, to achieve radical acceptance? Um, one of them is being willing, willingness. So practicing, approaching life situation with a willing attitude with, because a lot of times the suffering is also a closed off, attitude or closed off stance. Uh, like for example, um, the situation of, let, let's say, well, global warming, so that's not a good one. Let's say someone, a uh, client got robbed, you know, it's not your fault. Um, you couldn't have done anything differently. And so if you would just even be willing to consider that it's not your fault, being willing to look at other possible uh, reasons other than blaming yourself 
because a lot of times clients, especially if things don't go right or things go wrong or something happens they're upset about, they blame themselves. And so to help them, you know, look at that, like beating yourself up is not going to help. That's going to add to suffering. So being willing to let yourself off the hook, Hmm. that's one tool. Another tool is not burning your bridges. So maybe the suffering is you get fired from your, maybe the pain is you get fired from your job. The suffering is uh, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to, you know, make sure I'm hurtful uh, in some way. I'm going to have other people complain about this boss that, you know, let's say though you want a referral letter. A lot of times businesses will give you one, even if it is under those circumstances of termination, because otherwise there's usually legal action. So they'll send a neutral letter at best or at at least, but if they burn that bridge, then that's not even going to happen. So I have to help clients look at their reactivity could make things 10 times worse, not just the suffering, but also their relationships. Um, And then another one is called ride the wave or urge surfing. So this is where something happens. We have a lot of feelings come up and ask clients to ride it out instead of reacting or even necessarily responding. Just just go with that Mm -hmm. feeling for a, a while without just be aware of it. There's a acronym I use called NAW. Uh, notice this feeling, have awareness of it, and then willingness, you know, to uh, acknowledge this feeling and not to shut it down, but also not to uh, react to it as well. So just kind of going with the flow, as they say, just just write it out. And then you can have a better, mm. when you're more neutral to make a decision about what you want to do about it. Yeah, I, I like those techniques. I particularly like the urge surfing one and write it out because it, it really does emphasize the space concept for me. And also, I think you're beginning to allude to what I would regard as the transactional model of, of, of emotional arousal. And by that I mean, you know, you have an you know you have an event, and instead of thinking event equals response, you have an event. Then there are various stages beyond that before you actually get to response. So first of all, you have the event. Then there's judgment, and then as a result of that judgment, there is emotional arousal. As a result of that emotional arousal, there is invalid uh, there's inaccurate expression or or sorry emotional arousal then leads to invalidation invalidating responses which then of course lead to inaccurate expression or inaccurate response so i think they those elements are each touch points where therapy can occur and i think urge surfing allows you almost to have some kind of emotional distress tolerance as you're working your way through all of those all of those touch points. What do you think? I think that is a good way to conceptualize it. That yes, we have these 
uh, emotional heightened arousal, and then looking at the frame or lens that you're talking about. So there's the incident and then there's the judgment about it. And then from that judgment comes the heightened arousal or emotion. And then from there comes our response or usually reaction to it. So uh, the urge surfing is yes, going through all those and then you get to where the waves are really low and uh, we're more in our right state of mind, as it were. And then from there, okay, I'm a little calmer now. What do I want to do about this situation? So I th I, unfortunately, we run out of time today, but I was hoping we could continue our discussions regarding how we actually deal with radical acceptance in a more practical way. But I want to thank you for your time today, Laura. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction.